Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Lit to Lens podcast. This is your co-host, Will. Our other co-host, Eric, is currently at the gym because he doesn't just break mental sweats. He breaks physical sweats, too. I got back from Europe about a week ago, so I am feeling totally refreshed. Thank you for asking. Eric was in Michigan for the past week. He is surely looking refreshed as well. This is our special episode from Season 3 where we reviewed three graphic novels, including Ghost in the Shell, Watchmen, and V for Vendetta. If you haven't checked those out, please make sure to do so. In the season-ending episode, we have another interview with Jake from Phantom Comics. The interview was recorded before my trip on Thursday, June 6th. We've let the interview marinate for a month, which might seem too long for some of you guys, but trust us, it's the perfect amount of time. And props to Eric handling the majority of the interview with Jake, as I was suffering from the beginning of a pretty bad cold. I know, it's embarrassing. So, enough from me. Let's get to the interview. Enjoy. Phantom Comics, uh, Peace Street, Northwest, right? Yeah. In D.C. Uh, it's a hot day, but it's it's a nice day. It's humid. It's humid. Humid. It's a I, feel, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm swimming when I walk down the street. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little. We're with time. Jake from Phantom Comics. How's it going? Hey, it's going all right. It's been a it's been a, it's been a busy few days with the Fourth uh, of July weekend pushing back our shipment a bit, but you know it's always a good week of comics. You know, comics always work in weekly cycles, and sometimes you get burned out on it. But then every week, new comics come in, and it's kind of like a little bit of Christmas, and like, oh, I remember why I do this. Look at all these brand new shiny things you every feel week. Rejuvenated. I feel rejuvenated good. every week. And it's new comics Thursday this week instead yeah. of Wednesday. <laughs> Switch it yeah. up. Yeah, um, it's weird. I've been uh, so I've been working at Phantom for about three years, and this is the this is the first time that a long weekend's ever pushed back our shipment of comics, which is really weird. Usually, the only other time it's been pushed back was uh, a couple winters ago. We had a big snowstorm that pushed stuff back. Um, but yeah, usually like clockwork, it's always Wednesday. Does it feel weird? Uh, it feels a little weird because people came in the tail end of yesterday, and then people came in today. Um, Were they upset? No, I mean, I think people are, are mostly understanding. There were no um, riots outside. There have been, not yet. Uh, okay. I mean, for people who who don't know, comics always come out on Wednesdays. So for most retail, it's always Friday, Saturday is the big retail days. But in comic book stores, we make way more money on a Wednesday than any other day of the week. And for a lot of people, it's like a ritual. And uh, they're not just coming in for the comics. As you can see behind us, people are coming in so that they can hang out and talk to people. Um, you know. Most things we sell, people could get online. So really, we're not selling the comics; we're selling, you know, the human connection. Yeah. Like so that. we're that's why you hear the little bit of the background noise. We're crashing New Comics Thursday, and uh, all that like social hasn't happening behind us. We're, we're all do. hanging out together. Yeah. It's cool. So I want to ask you. So you obviously work at a comic book store for three years. Um, what kind of turned you on to comics initially? What was the you know your your first moment in your life where you're like, this is uh, I like this. This is cool. Um, well, actually, as a as a small child, it was more newspaper strip comics than comic book comics. Um, Calvin and Hobbes, 
being the huge one, obviously. Um, and I actually didn't really get much, much into comics until college, and then after college, I, I'm originally from here, I'm from D.C., but after I graduated, I didn't know what I was doing with my life. I actually, I studied film in school, and uh, studying film for four years made me realize that as much as I love watching and analyzing movies, I hate making movies. Um, <laughs> And I uh, didn't know what I was doing, and then my partner at the time got a job in Kansas City, of all places, a city that neither of us had ever been to or had any connection to, but I didn't have anything else going on, so uh, I followed them to Kansas City, and there I, uh, I fell into running a little art house movie theater, um, and uh, the Tivoli. It's still there. I still love it. Actually, I, I helped them run, run a Kickstarter where they raised $130,000 to convert their uh, projectors from film to digital. No shit. Um, wow. But, uh, yeah, so I know you all are uh, talk about film adaptation, so I got a bit of the film background, too. Well, this is good. Um, this is perfect. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, this is kind of like my, my tragic life story. No, no, no. While I was, while I was living there, um, my, my ex had wasn't even really into comics, but one of their friends had lent them a, a book. It was 100 Bullets, uh, and they were they wanted to go into a comic shop to get the next volume of it. Um, and so I followed them into the comic shop, and it was really awful. Actually, it was an awful comic shop. It was uh, it was your stereotypical like angry old dude standing behind the counter uh, judging you. Right. But something I don't. I think I just have an obsessive personality. It's hard for me to be a casual fan of anything. Um, something in there just clicked of like this is a thing I could get into, um, and I started picking up comics. But because I comic store was awful, I ended up ordering all of them off Amazon, which is kind of ironic given that right now you know now, <laughs> now you're like for, uh, my, my big uh, competitor. Yeah. Uh, side note: Amazon. It's a, you know it, it's weird because it's a website that I've been using since I was like since like 1997 or something. I've been. You know, a one since day one. You know, back when, back since it, back when it was a you know a, a website for books. Right. So I remember I was a I'm a, I'm a foreign service brat. My dad was working at the U.S. Embassy in Chile, and we were living there, and that was the only way we could get uh, English language books was through Amazon. I remember getting Goosebumps books in the mail. Um, Interesting. And uh, yeah, so I you know I've got a lot of complicated feelings on Amazon. I like I hate them in a lot of ways, but I have a weird like sentimental connection to them too. Okay. Um, Anyway, ordered a bunch, so I just order tons of graphic novels on Amazon, and uh, and on top of that, in the movie the movie theater I ran, it was just a little three three auditorium theater, and when movies were going in all the auditoriums, we didn't really have anything to do until the next movie got out. Um, so we would have like an hour period of super downtime, and people had left a bunch of old comics and fashion mags uh, behind the box office, so I would just sit there behind the box office reading comics for hours at a time. And uh, that was kind of my hard education into comics. There wasn't really a person who got me into it. Um, it was kind of entirely self-motivated. I would just like Google, you know, best comics of 2011 and just go down the list and read everything on there. Um, and it was this weird, dark period of my life where like my relationship was falling apart and I didn't really know anyone else in that city. Um, so I was just really lonely and just hung out and read comics a ton. And then after two years there, I, uh, I couldn't do it anymore. I moved back home to D.C., and uh, running a little art house movie theater translated to running a little comic book store, and I got the job here, and here we are. Here we are. Fast forward, and today. <laughs> um, so, what was it like? I guess my first question for you is uh, those websites you visited just to check out comic books. Like, what were you reading? Um, probably my favorite one is one that doesn't exist anymore. It's called Fourth Letter. It was run by David Brothers, who now works for Image Comics as their like branding manager or something. Um, he was. He was really great. I read, 
I mean, Comics Alliance, which also doesn't exist anymore. I read that a lot. Um, I, I used to like Chris Sims a lot. And, I, I, you know, I feel like since then, he said a few kind of douchey things. Um, but uh, All of our heroes, man. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so I read a lot of that. Um, I mean, you know, the big websites, like IGN does comic stuff, but their comic stuff is not very good. Um, it's really a lot of just, like, PR things. Um, and then... Uh, I mean, lately, now since I've started working in comics, there's a website called The Beat Comics, and it's just comicsbeat.com, run by Heidi McDonald, and she's been a comics, she's probably like the OG comics journalist, um, she's been around for decades, and she used to work at a bunch of different publishers, and now, I mean, it's by far, you know, uh, comics blogs are, you know, dying left and right, people are, I mean, all of journalism on the internet is, but comics journalism, they're, you know, they're, they're all getting bought up and shut down. Uh, but she's been around forever, and she is really great. Um, there's Brian Hibbs, uh, who's written for a bunch of different websites. Uh, does a, pan, uh, a column called Tilting at Windmills that's kind of a behind-the-scenes industry blog, and now that's carried on Comics Beat because um, the site that he was writing for before stopped carrying it, um, and then I think it doesn't exist anymore. So, yeah. Um, I wonder how far yeah. away we are from Amazon getting into comic book like journalism writing. I know, right? I know they have those those like top lists, just yep. like the top books. The books. Yeah. When are we getting the comics? Amazon Comics. <laughs> Tomorrow. Are we getting that? Soon? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, hey, Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, also owns the Washington Post. Yeah. That's right. um, yeah. Maybe he'll own this one day. Yeah. Um. But actually, now that I think about it, I think the thing that got me into a lot of them was I, once I got past the list was Tumblr, comic book artists on Tumblr. I think. Tumblr, as a, as a visual social media platform, lends itself to comics really well. And because comic book artists, even the most famous comic book artists, are only famous in this tiny sliver of society that cares about comics, so they're all just regular people. Like, the only ones who are rich are ones who got movie deals on their stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that, you know, none of, them are, none of them are really that huge. So they're all super accessible on social media, particularly Tumblr. And I would really love finding artists I like, and they would share not only their own works in progress, but then they would share work by other artists that they like, and I would kind of fall down a rabbit hole of, of that. And that actually probably was the single biggest thing getting, that got me into a lot of comics. I imagine it's like a really tight-knit community, right? And that kind of plays into your work here at Phantom. It's a, It's got to be a community of people. That's how you compete with Amazon. And, you know, if I want a comic book, I can get it in a day. But... Like, how does a shop like this stay open? You know what I mean? Like, what, what kind of things do you offer and um, what's kind of your secret to, to getting business day after day? Well, it's hard because, you know, part of our job security comes from the fact that comics are so overwhelming and confusing because people don't know where to start. You know, if you want to read Batman, not only are there a million different Batman books, but there's 15 different current Batman books. You know, there's a current Batman comic, but there's also detective comics. There's also all-star Batman. Um, and uh, there's a bunch of different things. But... I don't think that's why we stay in business because Amazon has their cross recommendations. Um, so how do we beat the cross recommendations? I think part of it is the human connection. It's like kind of the bartender aspect that people come to the comic shop because they want to hang out and talk about nerdy stuff. Um, and then a lot of it is the community factor in terms of we do a lot of book clubs, workshops. We try to support the local art scene, especially in DC, which is a really expensive city and not a very art friendly city. Um, I think we try to we we really try to show people that you can be in DC and still do comics um i mean and then like a lot of there's a lot of great comic book artists from dc there's more than you'd think who are professional comic book artists in dc they just tend to all stay in their own little holes especially because comics is a for from a creator standpoint is a pretty solitary thing 
you know, if you want to make a movie, you have to have a lot of other people involved, but you can really make a comic by yourself. So a lot of comic book artists are really homebodies. Um, so, you know, a big part of what we do is bring people together. Um, and then also we get, I mean, because it's so expensive in the city, it, we end up having a brain drain where a lot of art, comic artists from D.C., um, they'll move they'll move to Richmond or Baltimore, which are both more, you know, cheaper, more art-friendly cities, or move up to Brooklyn, which is just as expensive, but it's like, it's Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, or even being in D.C. proper, a lot of artists move out to the suburbs, and, I mean, being from D.C., I really want people to be able to stay in D.C. and do, and do comics. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that really pushes us, and we try to stay really active on all our social media in terms of being more of a community-building thing than just a giant ad for ourselves. Um and uh, through all that, I mean, and then also I think there's a lot of people who just sincerely want to support small businesses and, you know, they could buy their stuff elsewhere, but they buy it from us because they like us. Yeah. What are some of the bigger misconceptions of working at a comic book store and running a comic book store? I feel like the, the famous, uh, you know, pop culture version of the comic book store is in Big Bang Theory, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Big Bang Theory is a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Um, there's, you know... I hate Big Bang Theory. It's an awful show. I think it's a total <laughs> misrepresentation of Agreed. comic stores. Um, the uh, views expressed in this podcast do not... Uh... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I feel like a lot of it is... It's like... It should be laughing with geeks, but it's more like laughing at geeks. Yeah. Um, it's mean-spirited, kind of, in a way. Yeah. I, have you seen that edit of Big Bang Theory where they take out the laugh track? No. There's an edit... If you just Google Big Bang Theory without laugh track, um, it's just like... Someone says something really mean to someone else, and then there's just an awkward silence. And then someone says something really mean to someone else, and there's just another awkward silence. Um, That'd be great to see. I bet that would be really funny, actually. Oh yeah. Um, In a weird kind we of play. Game. We play a drinking game where if you laugh, you have to drink, and it's a very like sad. It's a very yes. sad game. <laughs> I also, it's just like amazing to me that like traditional sitcoms with laugh tracks even still exist anymore. Um, anyway, yeah. so, but as much as I, as much as I hate Big Bang Theory, there's a lot of people who come into the comic book store who like. We were like, I didn't even know the comic book store still existed, but I saw it on the Big Bang Theory. Um, so I, I guess I need to, I need to thank them in a way. Same with Kevin Smith and Comic Book Men, which is a really awful show and is really a glorified pawn shop show. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny because we don't sell old rare comics at all. People come in and ask all the time, "What's your rarest comic?" Where's Batman number one? But yeah, Detective what? Comics. I mean, but for us, it's really like eBay can always beat us on that kind of thing. And for people mm-hmm. that want to spend a lot of money on comics, they're, they're not gonna. They're looking for very specific books, so they're they're not going to buy our random selection that we've got. Um, so we really focus on new comics coming out now, um, and I mean, also we I mean we have a ton of superhero comics, but also um, tons of not superhero comics. Image Comics is probably our the publisher that does the best with us. Um, they're the third biggest publisher. They're the ones who do The Walking Dead um, and Spawn back in the day, um, but they've. You know they were they were founded in the early '90s as these all these big name comic book artists who were doing a bunch of like X Men books and Spider Man books. They split off and did their own thing, and they were all these really edgy '90s uh, R rated superhero characters like Spawn and Savage Dragon and Youngblood. But now they're at the forefront of comics. They're doing all the best stuff. Once Walking Dead came out in 2003, I think when it, the comic first started, um, that kind of rejuvenated the company. And now I don't if you're familiar with Saga. Saga is the single biggest comic happening right now for us. Um, it, it outsells everything by a long shot. Um, it's, people who have been reading comics forever read it, and people who are just starting reading comics, probably that's the biggest new... That's For adults getting into comics now, it's probably the biggest gateway drug comic. Um, saga. Yeah, it's called Saga. Just, saga. you know, S-A-G-A. Saga, yeah. Saga, I don't know, however you want to pronounce it. And the big thing for Saga is it's 
by far the biggest comic that doesn't have any sort of adaptation in any other medium, and they want to keep it that way. I mean, they've, it's, I mean, it for us is way bigger now than the Walking Dead comic. Um, but for them, they're adamant that they want it, they want it to stay a comic, and that kind of adds a mystique to it, and a lot of people come in for it. Uh, we're also in a time where, you know, comics come out in the monthly single issue, like magazine style comics, but then. You know, once six of those comics come out, they'll always come out in the little collected volumes. And actually, these days, that's how more people read their comics, is in the collected volumes, because they're easier to put on your bookshelf, they're easier to keep track of, they don't go out of print. Um, but Saga is so big that it sells like hotcakes in the single issues and also in the collected volumes. So when are we going to see the movie version? The television version? I don't know if it's ever going to happen. They've been pretty they've been pretty adamant about keeping it. I mean, Brian K. Vaughn, the writer of it... Uh, did a, he's done a, write, a lot of writing for TV. He did, he did a lot of writing on Lost. Um, and then a lot of his other series have been in kind of movie adaptation limbo for a long time. Why the Last Man is another one of his comics that people have been trying to turn into a movie TV show for a while, but it just hasn't happened. Um, but Saga has been one that they've been adamant that they just want it to be a comic. And I think that's cool because, I mean, talking about uh, adaptations of stuff, I think there's a lot of people... Not only readers, but a lot of comic book creators who I think just see comics as sort of a stepping stone into getting the rights purchased so that they can get their thing turned into a movie or TV show. And for me, loving comics, I mean, I love a lot of movies and TV shows on comics, but I also love comics, and I think comics can be their own end game. Like, you're not making a comic so that it can, can, it, so that it can be turned into a movie. You're making a comic because you really like the comic. Um, and so I really respect that about Saga for how big it is. Yeah. What do you think are some of the pitfalls? Uh, if you see, I mean... You mentioned Spawn. That's a very famous, like, early comic book adaptation, right? Yeah. Um, into a movie. So what, what do you see are some of the pitfalls of making these, like, book-to-film adaptations? Um, what do you see that, that you're just like, this is fucking terrible? Well, it's, it's interesting because almost no comic book adaptations are directly adaptations of the source material, which is probably a good thing. Um... You know, even even Logan, which you would think would be based... There is a comic called Old Man Logan, which you would think would be it would be directly based on, but it's not really. I mean, a lot of comics, I guess because for superheroes, they're sort of amalgamations of these characters who have been around for decades. So they kind of pick and choose bits from bits and pieces from what they want. I guess probably Captain America Civil War is the closest thing we've gotten to a direct adaptation of a comic book. But even that, uh, you know, the original Civil War comic came out... Um, you know, right after this kind of post-9-11 terror scare. So a lot of the things they were addressing in the original comic don't really apply as much 10 years later. And so they, you know, they took the core of the of the, of the comic and updated it for today. Um, and actually, at that point, I think I, that's actually one where I think Civil War, the comic, hasn't aged very well. And I, I actually, at this point, probably think Captain America Civil War, the movie, is better than the comic it's based on. Um... So I don't know. Maybe I would say that that adapting it directly is the best route. But then, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got Guardians of the Galaxy, another adaptation that I think is better than the original comics. The Guardians of the Galaxy comics have all been pretty not great, um, and and no like no one really cared about them until the movie was announced. And then the movies have been way better, and they're just I mean they're almost entirely their own thing. Um, pitfalls. So pitfalls, I would say. Probably the biggest one is people trying to pander too much to the old school fanboys because really comic book fans want, they just want to see good movies. Um, and so it doesn't, you don't have to get everything exactly right. And I think when people would go out of their way too much to make things too true to what they originally are, I mean, that's where you lose yourself. I think you got to make a good movie or a good TV show first and foremost. 
Um, and if the spirit of the character can come through, people are, people can see that. So I don't know. I think people take nerds on the internet for granted. I think those. I think the few the few loud ones who are really angry on Reddit. I think those are the ones that people see. But for most people, I think they really, you know, even if they'll nitpick whether the costume is exactly like how it was in the comic. Um, at the end of the day, I think people are excited for stuff that just captures the spirit of what they really liked in the first place. Do you watch all adaptations? Like, are you all caught up on the DCU um, and the I watch, MCU? I, I'm fairly caught up. I mean, a lot of them I watch as kind of homework for my job more than anything. Um, I mean, so my personal reading tastes, I don't really, I'm, superhero comics aren't really my thing at all. Um, I read a lot of them to keep up with them. Uh, but most of my favorite comics are, there's a, I mean, Image Comics, the one that puts out Saga, they put out, we're kind of in a golden age of science fiction comics right now. They put out a lot of really, really, really good ones. Um, East of West is another huge one right now. Descender, which is getting turned into a movie or TV show or something. Um, there's, there's a ton being put out, but I, uh, I try to keep up with comics and I'll try to watch all the movies. Uh, some of them I never watch. I never saw Batman vs. Superman because I heard nothing but awful things about it. Um, Suicide Squad... I wanted to love. Part of it is just the contrarian in me. Um, wanted to love it, but also just like, I don't know, Will Smith is my movie dad. Um, you know, I've watched Independence Day so many times as a kid. <laughs> I love that term, uh, movie dad. It's great. He's my, like, he's my movie dad, and I want to see him do well, and he turned down doing Independence Day 2 so that he could be in Suicide Squad. If um, I were to ever have a movie dad, it would definitely be Will Smith, so maybe we're movie brothers? Yeah, I, I know, right? I think so. Wild Wild West, ahead of its time. Misunderstood. It is misunderstood. I don't think I've ever seen it all the way through. What about After Earth? After Earth After Earth was not a great movie, but it's a movie that had a lot of good ideas in it. Um, I think at this point in my... In it's my, like 80 minutes long. It's, like, it's, not, it's not long enough. Shout out M. Night Shyamalan. I think in my, in my jaded pop culture consuming life now, I think I'm less interested in good media as I am in interesting media. Because I think you can put a few million dollars into something and you can make it good, you know, solid, like, meat and potatoes really easily. But I'm much more, interesting in, I'm much more interested in stuff that could be flawed but does something different. And After Earth, it had some really interesting stuff with, like, where they tried to figure out what they thought people's accents in the future would sound like. So it's this weird, like, halfway between a British accent and a southern accent. And they committed to it through the whole movie, and I thought that was super cool. Yeah. Um, some positives from After Earth. Yeah. If any. Some. Some. <laughs> the one um, positive. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I miss the days when Will Smith did uh, hit singles to tie into each of his movies. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. That's too so bad. Um, Are we sure he didn't do an After Earth soundtrack? I don't think I it wish was, he did an After Earth song. Yeah. I heard uh, it. I heard he did, but it was never released. Okay. Um. Yeah, anyway, back to Suicide Squad. As much as I wanted to love that movie, it was bad. It was bad, and it wasn't even a so bad it's good kind of way. It was just bad. Um. You know, I uh, I thought Deadshot and Harley Quinn and Amanda Waller, all those characters, like the actors playing them, all did really good jobs, but they were just totally misused. I would love to see those same actors playing those same characters in an entirely different movie. The rest of it was pretty awful. Um. You know, Enchantress, the villain, was such a nothing villain. Uh, Diablo, like... And, and so the rest of it was just terrible. Um, so, but... They tried. They did try to introduce, like, emotional stakes at the, like, 11th hour with Diablo. It's like, oh, yeah. he's got this whole backstory, and now you feel, ba like, you feel something for this character. It's like, well, we just watched, like, the whole movie where... He didn't have this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was, yeah. It's kind of like a cheap, I don't know, well, for me, and, a little cheap emotional twist. Yeah, definitely. And... You know, and you heard all that stuff about how, like, you know, after Batman vs Superman was panned, they tried to lighten it up, and then after that, the and then, trailer, right? and then the after trailer was funny, yeah. But it, there's no rule that says the trailer is gonna make like 
It's a good trailer, yeah. bad movie. That's, That's all. That happens often. Yeah, and then you know, and then Deadpool came out and that affected yeah. it too. It just seemed like it was getting knocked around a bunch in like post production, um, and I don't know. I, I I wish it was good. I would love because there's a lot of there's a lot of good like old 1980s Suicide Squad comics that I, I would love to I would love to see a good Suicide Squad movie. I think it it could be done well. Just not like that. Maybe um, in thirty years. Yeah. Um, we'll see what the next trend is in, in movie IP. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean. So aside from that, I try to watch all of them. I saw Wonder Woman. I give it a solid B. Uh, um, Guardians of the Galaxy two. Is I, that the contrarian in you? Giving Wonder Woman a B. I thought. I mean, I think most <laughs> reviews I saw online kind of agreed with what I thought. I thought it was a really amazing first twenty minutes, and then a like pretty good, you know, second act. But then it sort of falls apart at the at the end, um, where it turns the it, love story. It, the love. I didn't need the love story, and I didn't in the in the final boss. It just feels like a video game final boss. Like you know, it was like a we're gonna shoot energy at each other, and then this isn't even my final form. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm it, actually Ares. And then this confusing thing, like the message of it, is that you can't just kill one guy and. Solve all of evil, but then she kills him, and then all the soldiers hug each other, and it seems like she solved World War One, but then she goes into hiding and doesn't solve World War Two, and like, is it because she and she because she wants humanity to so, to save themselves, but she still wants to help people? This is my problem with all of know. the non-Avengers Marvel movies. It's like, why is there a Thor two? Like, why don't the Avengers just help out Thor on his like London adventure? Well, that's the what's that, Iron Man doing? That's the problem that busy? superhero movies yeah, and super, that's the problem superhero movies and superhero comics always have, of like. If you're not the A-lister, if you're the C or D-list character, like, who cares about what you're doing? Um, I, the ones that, I, the stories I like the most, and I've seen them a lot more in comics than in movies. I think movies have not quite figured this out yet, but my favorite superhero comics that involve your not A-list characters are the ones where it's really just a small, focused story. Like, not every story has to be about saving the world. Um, right. There's actually, so Hawkeye, the least interesting Avenger, he's awful in the movies, um, but if there's a recent Hawkeye comic from a couple years ago by Matt Fraction and David Aka, um, that's amazing, and it's one of the best, it's like arguably the best superhero comic of the last six, seven years, um, and it's, it takes the fact that he's the least interesting Avenger and sort of rolls with it, and instead of trying to save the world, he's just trying to save his apartment building from some Russian tracksuit mobster dude bros, um, and it's great, and he's like hardly ever in his costume. It's just, and it's really, you know, and every now and then other superhero characters will show up, but it's really just doing its own thing. Is it great because it's different, or is it great because it's just great? Um, it's, a lot of people, when it was coming out, people described it as, like, the Seinfeld of superhero comics, because um, he was, like, a regular guy. Also, the art style was really great. I think when we talk about superheroes, we like to, I think there's a lot of people who don't read superhero comics, but love keep, keeping up with the Wikipedia pages for them, um, and they don't see superhero comics as, like, stories they just see them as plots they just see them as a series of plot points to get by yeah. um so i think we don't talk about the art nearly as much but the art in the in that hawkeye run is fantastic and kind of it feels like an indie comic but it's a superhero comic there's a lot of really interesting paneling and things like that um there's a there's an issue where he loses his hearing and there's an issue that's told entirely um in asl and uh and if you don't speak sign language there's no subtitles or anything for it like you just have to roll with it and it's kind of it's kind of cool because then it's sort of a role reversal within the reader is given the experience that deaf people have all the time there's one issue that's told entirely from the perspective of his dog um and uh yeah so it does a lot of really interesting a lot of really interesting things um so yeah i think that it's it's hard to think a lot of people love the interconnectedness of all the superhero movies yeah um but that ends up it ends up hurting a lot of them because it's like yeah why if this if this was such a big threat why aren't like 
why isn't Superman here to, to help out? Yeah, it cheapens the stakes, right, a little bit. Yeah. Um, so before we jump, like, too far down the superhero path, uh, I, I know there's obviously a lot of comic books that aren't superhero-focused. So in your opinion, if as we're both kind of new to comics, so if you were to pick, like, five things, five introductory non-superhero comics for us to read or for people to get into, what would they be? Um, Easily Saga is the first one, the one I just mentioned. Um, it's like a sci-fi fantasy. People describe it as like Star Wars crossed with Game of Thrones, but I don't... People love doing the like... It's like X, you love crossed with Y, you yeah. love. And I don't... It's not really that. It's its own thing. It's super twisty-turny and lots of main characters die. Um, it's... Uh, yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. It's and it's also super readable and super digestible and it's it's uh, easy breezy. Each, each volume ends with a twist at the end, so you want to keep reading. Um, I love Saga by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Um, that would be my number one. My second one is a comic called The Wicked and the Divine that I believe is in the middle of getting a TV adaptation. Um, that one, it is sort of, it's a British urban fantasy where all these, all these ancient gods reincarnate every 90 years as pop stars. Um, so one of them is basically Kanye West, one of them is basically David Bowie, one of them is basically Rihanna, one of them is basically St. Vincent. Um, so there's 12 of them, and they're all, they're all, one of them is Daft Punk, um, and they, they, and they, and they lead these cult followings because they're gods, and they're these beautiful 20-something people, um, and they play these concerts that make everyone spontaneously orgasm because they're gods, but then, but then they only exist for two years, and then they die, and then they come back again in 90 years, um, and, uh, it's super British and super bantery, the art style is super digital, and, actually feels like it could translate really well into a TV show. Um, there's some comics that you're like, I, there's no way that this would translate, but The Wicked and the Divine translates super well because it's all, it's all done pretty realistically um, and it's all just like modern day people being hip and cool in, in like modern day London. Um, so that one is it's also super twisty turning and main characters die. Um, people like that. I think when you're reading non-superhero comics, people really like the gravity of it because characters can actually die. Um, yeah. Then superhero comics right. like super die. Once Superman die. came back, it's <laughs> yeah. Once Superman came back, it's like you can't kill anyone in superhero comics. Um, but in non-superhero comics, characters can actually die, and that and that it's a really interesting thing that not superhero comics have over superhero comics. Um, other stuff that's been uh, really big lately. Well, hi, Kristen. Um, well. Maybe my favorite comic uh, of the last decade. Um, it's a science. It's a little bit smaller. It's a science fiction comic called Profit. Profit, like religious profit, not like making money profit. Um, that one. It's actually a reboot of a really awful '90s comic uh, that you don't need to read. Um, but Profit. It starts off like Conan in space, but gets a lot more weird and metaphysical and transhumanist as it goes on. Um, it draws a lot off of Dune. Um, a lot of like really far future sci-fi stuff with like biomechanical living spaceships and things like that. And that one is one that's like so out there that I can't see it being tra translating very well to a movie, a TV show, maybe an animated series or something. Um, and it also is really obtuse and doesn't hand anything to you. The Wicked and the Divine and Saga that I just mentioned, those ones are super easy to get into. Anyone could like them, but Prophet is one that it doesn't hold your hand at all and doesn't really explain anything. And it's, it's usually not the first comic that I recommend to people. Um, but I absolutely love it. Um, it's the 201, not the 101. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, there's another recent one I love called Shudder. Um, Shudder is another sort of urban fantasy. It's about this woman who's sort of a Tintin, Indiana Jones sort of famous adventurer. 
Um, but she decides to quit her job and go back to her regular life. And then her past comes back to haunt her. She finds out she has all these siblings she didn't know about. Um, and it also exists, like, not in the future, but in a more just, like, fantastical version of the present. Um, with, like, weird an hybrid animal humans. And uh, her cat, and her, uh, her sidekick is this Felix the Cat alarm clock robot thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's real fun. That's, uh, what, that's four comics yeah. that I gave you. Uh, one more. Oh, round five. Round five. Um, so I haven't talked about manga at all, Japanese comics. Um, so probably the biggest one happening right now is One Punch Man. People love One Punch Man. But my favorite, the one that got me into manga as an adult, is a, an old comic from the 80s called Uzumaki by Junji Ito. It's a horror comic. Um, I think growing up, I always thought that all manga was like Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon, and it was all just like people punching people, and kind of like superhero comics, but in mm -hmm. manga form. Uh, but my old roommate handed this, this tome of a hardcover, uh, Japanese horror comic from the eighties and it's, uh, Uzumaki, it means spiral in Japanese and it's about spirals taking over a town in Japan. There's no villain. The villain is the abstract shape of the spiral. Um, people turn into spirals and their bodies break and people get obsessed with the shape of the spiral and go insane and kill each other. Um, it's real weird. It, it like it showed me that like oh all those pretentious American comics I like there's Japanese equivalents of those too, yeah. um, and so and that one it's like for being for being a niche horror comic it's a lot of people love it. Um, I think it's just really well done. Um, I think people always talk about horror as a niche genre, um, and kind of the, the pitfalls of horror are when people try to make it too mainstream and try to make it appeal to too many people because kind of the nature of horror is that it's supposed to to squick people out. Um, but I think when horror is done really, really well, most people can like it, even if you don't think you like it. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I think that kind of opened me up to a whole new world of Japanese comics. It's an awesome list. There's a that's a summer reading list. For yeah. Us. There you go. Um, so you, you, one thing you said in there was you can kind of tell. I'm getting back to adaptations. When you read a comic book, it's going to be hard to translate to you know either a TV show or a movie. What are like? How do you? figure that basically like what do you look for to see if it's going to translate well is that a character is it like a tone um things that are really character driven i think translate better um things that are modern day translate better uh, i mean the closer it is to just people in the modern day talking to each other the easier i think it'll translate uh the wicked divine is super has really supernatural lots of explosions and stuff but hollywood's great at explosions and stuff um i think it translates well because it's mostly it's mostly based on regular people having really witty dialogue, talking to each other. Um, stuff that I think doesn't translate as well is things that are world are more about the world and the atmosphere of it, because that one is, I think is easier to screw up. Um, so like a Watchmen? Watchmen. Watchmen, the thing about Watchmen is, I think what made it not work so well, I mean, maybe you like the movie. I generally think it was not a good movie. The thing that made Watchmen tough for me was that it's such a dense book um, that it's hard to get all that. And you know that... It's a thing where you know that you're not going to be able to capture all of it. I mean, with any adaptation, you know that you you're not going to get all of stuff, it. Right, yeah. um, they try to. They try to capture everything. Um, it was like a four-hour movie. But right? it's a, it's like it's so dense that it's one where it definitely needed more of that breathing room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And also, one of the things that made Watchmen such a monumental comic was, first of all, it was like it it was it was groundbreaking. It was one of the first like really dark, mature comics that was a, a commentary on superhero comics. It came out in 1986. Um, 1986 is a huge year for comics because um, Watchmen came out it, that year and um, Mouse came out that same year um, by Art Spiegelman, uh, uh -huh. which is 
probably to me is still the definitive Holocaust story in any medium. Uh, I, I love it. Um, and I think that's like when people first started to realize that comics aren't just for kids. Um, so I think part of it was like, it's just the, the time and place of it. Um, and I think, I actually think Dark Knight Returns came out that same year also. Um, so there you have like three in a row, huge yeah. things, 1986. Um, and I think when it came out in the, what, like 2008 or something, uh, sometime in the late zeros, uh, the movie, it just, yeah, the movie, yeah. it just, it didn't, it didn't have the same culture. It, like it was never going to have the same amount of cultural impact. But then also Watchmen is a really great formalist comic in terms of it. A lot of what it does is the, is it plays with the structure of comics. Um, a lot of it plays with symmetry in comics. Um, like the whole, the whole collected graphic novel is, you know, if you if you read it, you get to the halfway point, and, the ha- and like the exact halfway point of the whole series is this is this symmetrical page, and then you go, and then like the whole book is symmetrical, and it all deals with with time and ideas of twelve, um, and a lot of that just like you can't get across in a movie. Um, yeah, not enough space. And there's not enough space. There's not enough interiority that you can get across. Yeah, I mean, like. and there's plenty of movies that that excel at like playing with structure of film um, and approaches to film. But that's not what Watchmen is, and so I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if you could make a good Watchmen movie. I mean, I guess you probably could. I don't know. Um, it's to be the right time and place. Yeah. I, we were saying so. One of our past episodes was Watchmen, and I was saying it would make a good TV show. Yeah. I think if you had a little more, yeah, time breathing room. I think a lot of I think a lot of comics would, be, would make better TV shows than movies because comics are all about the serialization. And, you know, they're really long and so they're able to develop, you know, one of the strengths of TV over film is that you're able to, because it's, it's longer, you're able to develop the characters a lot more, especially a lot of the side characters. Um, and comics do that and TV does that. Um, it seems like a match made in heaven. Yeah. yeah. So why haven't there been more comic books adapted to television? Well, I think, you know, it hasn't, you know, it's only been the last decade that we've had like our quote unquote golden age of television. Um, and I think in this last decade, you're starting to see with like um, with the Marvel Netflix shows, you're starting to see people do TV adaptations that people really dig. Um, There's Preacher, I mean, even, right? Yeah, Preacher's big. Iron I mean, Fist. Even now, uh, like The Flash and Arrow. Yeah. Um, so I think we actually are starting to see a lot more good. Uh, I mean, Luke Cage, people love that. Jessica Jones, people really loved. And that one even brought in a lot of people who aren't really into superheroes because it's not really strictly a superhero story. Um, you know, every now and then you got a dud, uh, Iron Fist. But, <laughs> you know. Um, but overall, I, I mean, I think we are starting to see more good TV. I mean, and the walk, yeah, The Walking Dead, um, a huge one. Um, yeah, so I think overall we are starting to see more good TV adaptations of of comics. And I, and I guess that's just because it's only been in the last decade that people are really starting to respect TV on the same level they respect film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's now okay to admit maybe more, like, in a more mainstream way that you're a comics fan. Right? Yeah. It's, it's a little more... And it's not that it was ever not okay, but it's a little more like acceptable on a national level. Like people will, you can get three million people to watch an episode of Preacher today. Right. You probably yeah. couldn't have done that in 1986, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, being being nerdy is mainstream now. Yeah. Sure. So I want to ask you about like some trends in comic book publishing. How you know you've worked here for three years, but you've been reading comic books for a long time. Yeah. Um, how do comics coming out today differ from what? we saw 10, 15 years ago. Um, comics now, from, different from comics 10, 15 years ago. Um, so co- comics 15 years ago, like like turn of the millennium, it was kind of a dark period for comics. Um, 
I think this, so the 90s, you had this huge glut of comics. Um, that's when you had all the huge Spider-Man and X-Men things. Um, and the comics industry had a crash in the, in the mid-90s because um, people got, the, the collector's market got carried away with people doing, you know, here's 20 different variant covers for this thing. Um, and the market crashed and the, I think everyone started investing in comics and then the bottom dropped out. And so because of that, the, I think the, the zeros were a pretty dark period for comics. And then on top of that, I think because of sort of, you know, post 9-11 trauma, I think the early 2000s were kind of a not great period for a lot of, of art. Um, not really sure how to respond. Not to really sure this. how to respond. Um, people just being scared and angry all the time. Um, and I think it wasn't, I mean, and so there's, I mean, there's a, there's a few classic comics in that time period, but not, not a ton. Uh, oh, see you, Devon. Uh, and so I don't know. I, I, I think it's just been sort of a slow recovery from that. Um, and then, you know, then finally, I mean, and it really is, you know, the Avengers movie getting big brought a ton of people into comics. Um, and The Walking Dead getting big brought a ton of people into comics, and I think you slowly start seeing a lot more people getting into it. And um, but then on top of that, you always you've always had the slow growth of web comics. That's the thing we don't really talk about at all. Um, I mean, web you know we think of, of, of people who read comics as this dwindling population, but if you count web comics, there's way more people reading comics now than have ever read comics before. Um, and I think you have a lot of um, you you have a lot of web comic people now making it in more mainstream comics. Um, and the other thing is a lot of kids that grew up on manga and anime in the 90s when that was first getting big in the U.S., a lot of those people are, are just now adults and are just now making their own art. So I guess the other big change now is you're seeing a lot of Western comics that have that take a lot of influence from manga and anime. Interesting. Yeah. So we have some more for you. Um, I guess to flip that around, like in, instead of trends in comics, what are some trends in readership? What are you seeing that's popular that maybe wasn't popular? I know there's... I was reading an article today about Spider-Man, and now there's like eight Spider-Man titles going around right now. Yeah. And they, the readership is just so fractured that none of them, whereas they used to be like a top five seller, like bottom Yeah, it, it's funny because I think at first glance, I would say that you shouldn't have a million different Spider-Man books because that, <laughs> that uh, you know, fracturing thing sucks. Um, and a lot of times it is bad, but with Spider-Man in particular, I think it works really well, but actually the extended Spider-Man line is one of my favorite lines of superhero comics right now. Um, there's so many weird different spider characters that just work really well. Um, you've got Peter Parker, who's regular Amazing Spider-Man. You've got Miles Morales, um, who was the ultimate Spider-Man. Now he's in regular continuity. Now they just call him Spider-Man. Right. Um, he's a really great character. You've got Spider-Gwen, who is another alternate continuity, uh, Gwen Stacy, who had, uh, you know, it's in a world where Peter Parker died and she lived and she turned into Spider-Woman. Spider-Gwen's uh, uh, Spider great. Uh, then you have Silk, who uh, is another character who is really good, who I think they wanted to be kind of the new Spider-Gwen. And Spider-Gwen came out of nowhere. Spider-Gwen was only going to be in a little one-shot comic, but then her costume was so cool that they uh, that they gave her own series. And it's just testament to if the costume's cool, people are going to dig it. Yeah. Um, and then, they, then Spider-Woman is awesome too. She's, uh, I mean, Spider-Woman, she's a little bit older. I mean, the the thing that works for a lot of the spider characters is that they're is that they're teenagers, and I think we're in a world where everyone is really gritty and angry. Um, and having teenagers uh, who are just being teenagers and are unsure of themselves is really nice. I think that's why a lot of people are excited for Spider-Man: Homecoming, that it's actually a teenager playing a teenager for once. And I think there's a certain level of innocence in there that we don't get in a lot of superhero stuff right now. 
Um, but then you have Spider Woman, who's actually she's a mom, and one of the recent story arcs she was like pregnant and then had a kid. Uh, and uh, it wasn't hundreds of spider babies. Ah, uh, that's too bad. Um, <laughs> that was my that was my follow up. <laughs> um, but she but but then by comparison with her just like having her act together, um, it really works. Although. And then they, they recently did a big Spider-Verse crossover event where they brought in all the weird, obscure Spider characters. You had Spider-Ham. You had uh, Japanese 1970s live-action TV show Subida-Man, who is really great. Uh, that's actually the first Japanese TV show to ever have a mech in it. Um, it was Spider-Man. Spider-Man had a mech. It, the mech was called Leopardon. It's a leopard-themed mech for Spider-Man. All um, right. Okay. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Spider-Man emissary from hell. That was the that was the tagline. Uh, yeah, they brought that in. There was like British Spider-Man. There was Spider-Man 2099, which is Spider-Man from the future, um, and it all just worked really well and didn't take itself too seriously. It was really good. Um, where it doesn't work in terms of fractured readership for superhero comics is the fact that you've got like ten different Batman comics coming out at once, and they're not all good. And really, what it is is the DC Comics knows that you know they could publish this lesser-known character. And it would sell all right. But if they put Batman in the title, it suddenly sells three times as well. Or like there's a million different Avengers books right now. And they're like, and a lot of them are not even really Avengers related, but they know if they put Avengers in the title of it, it'll sell three times as well. Um, Do you get the sense of like an, a number one issue of something just does better automatically? So like, whereas you could run like Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man's on like issue like 750, 760. But if you have like Spider-Gwen 1, that is going to sell like three times as much as you know number ones kill comics um you're right number one issues do sell better than everything else um so then you have the incentive so to people keep pushing people out people ones. They, i mean not only making new ones but also rebooting the existing characters i mean amazing spider-man even though it's on it's like 700 issue the current issue of it i think is only like 29 or something because they've re they've renumbered it they've renumbered spider-man like five times over the course of spider-man i mean same with almost every other superhero character um they know that if they reboot it it's a new number one. It'll sell better. New readers feel like they can come in. But then because there's so many number ones, then people don't know what's the actual number one to start with. And it ends up devaluing what a number one is. It makes it harder to get into it, too. Yeah, like, it right? makes it really to hard to get into it. Does it get uh, confusing after a while? All these numbers It gets super confusing. And then on the, on, the, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got DC recently uh, denumbered their uh, Action Comics and Detective Comics. Those are the two longest-running series. And now... They've, they've reverted them back to their original numbering, so they're both in the 900s now. Um, and on one hand, it's like really cool that it's really honest of like, oh, we're actually in issue 970. But on the other hand, it does make it really hard to remember which issue you're on or how many issues behind you are because keeping track of issues in the 900s is a lot more confusing. Yeah, um, I can imagine. And uh, so I don't know. It's, there, there's a happy medium in there somewhere. Um, because there is value to having a new place that new people can jump on because people are intimidated by high numbers. But then when there's a million number ones, uh, you know, especially a lot of times the number ones, it'll like, it's even the same story with the same writer and artist. Um, you know, so if you get that number one, that's not actually the beginning of the story. That's like halfway through the story. Um, Marvel is particularly bad at that. In the, uh, they're bad at that, guilty of that in the, in the last five years. They've renumbered their things a lot of times and like re renumbered the whole line of comics at once. Um... I guess, to me, the perfect way of renumbering it would be, like, start with a new number one every time you have a new writer and artist, a new creative team on it, because then it's a new voice with a new tone. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times they don't do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that fractures the readership a lot. It makes it, it gives us a little bit of job security, because it makes it, because uh, people are overwhelmed by comics, and we're able to help them figure out what to read. Um, so you do your homework. 
Yeah, but I guess it's just like fracturing of media in general of like, you know, you're never going to have another band as big as the Beatles because people don't listen to the same three radio stations anymore. Yeah. Um, the fracturing of media means that no one's ever going to get as big, but then the, there's more of an ability for more people to get into more stuff. I mean, there's more comics being published now than ever, and a lot of people say there's more comics being published than the market can really support. Um, but I'd rather have more comics than fewer comics, even if there's a bunch of trash in there. I mean, it just means that there's more opportunity for more good stuff, too. Yeah, yeah you'll have more, like, solid titles, right? More good to solid. Yeah. Right, you would think. Yeah. Um, do you have anything? Or we're gonna, we can wrap up with these uh, rapid fires I got down there. Yeah, do you want me to go for it? Okay, sorry, my voice is a little hoarse, but... Okay, so favorite comic. Favorite comic has to be Profit. I uh, I just mentioned that earlier. It's just, like, crazy far out there sci-fi. Um, I love it. It's the best. Uh, comic that you'd like to see adapted by Hollywood as a movie or a TV show. Or both. Uh, well, The Wicked and the Divine is getting turned into one. One that I would love to see is a comic called Bitch Planet. Um, it's huge right now. It's Bitch, Bitch Planet. Bitch Planet. It's okay. women in prison in space, but it's all metaphor for the patriarchy. Okay. And I think that one might have, the, the rights have, of that have been bought also. That one is theoretically happening. But, you know, a lot of times... Someone like, owns it, but it's... You but a lot of times it's made, just like, oh, yeah. here's a, here's just a check that we got for the rights, and then it never happens. Yeah. Uh, favorite writer? Favorite writer? Um, I, you know, I tend to follow artists a lot more than writers. Um... But I'm going to have to say, for a writer, um, it might be Joe Keating. Joe Keating, who writes Shudder. Okay. Okay. Favorite artist? Favorite artist, it's Brandon Graham. Brandon Graham uh, does uh, did Profit, did a bunch of stuff, did multiple Warheads, King City. Um, and he is probably single-handedly more responsible for me getting into comics than any other writer or artist. And he's also done a lot of writing, too. He's kind of, he kind of does, this, does them both. Okay. Thoughts on the new run of Captain America where... He becomes an agent. Hydra. <laughs> Very controversial. Hail Hydra, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this is this is the this is the zombie that comics have created for themselves. I think when you when you cr make people have all these alternate continuities all the time and reboots all the time, you're gonna get this. I think it's it is disrespectful to the original character. Um, but I don't know. It's all a gimmick. It mm -hmm. stuff like that. Stuff like that is why superhero comics aren't really my thing personally. Okay. There you go. Nice. Um. Why can't we make a good Fantastic Four adaptation? Because people won't let it be goofy. Um, Fantastic Four is supposed to be out there and a little weird, and but I think that you know in our current media climate, people want superheroes to be like serious, a little too serious. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the thing is a weird character. Um, yeah, I think people aren't. I mean, I love Michael B. Jordan. I hope that Michael B. Jordan will come back. Um, also, Doctor Doom is probably my favorite Marvel villain, and it sucks that he was like a weird teen hacker in it. Um, yeah. Doctor Doom is a really cool, complicated character who's just trying to run his country, and he has a sweet mask. But he's relegated to these like B, essentially comic book movies that yeah. Just yeah, well, because Fantastic work. Four, because even in the you know, there's no Fantastic Four comic being published right now, um, and there hasn't been for about three years now. Um, I think right after the most recent Fantastic Four movie came out, they kind of ended the comics because in the comics they also haven't been able to figure out Fantastic Four recently, um, and I think it's because Fantastic Four is. The most comic booky of all the comic book series. Because it's the first. It's the first Marvel, right? It's the first. That's Marvel's first family. Um, yeah. And it's just a lot of it. It just draws off a lot of like the oldest comic book superhero tropes, and we try to modernize them, and it's really hard. Um, so I think you just you just need to allow it to be really corny. Hmm. There you go. All right, take notes. Listen up, Hollywood. Uh, best comic book adaptation for TV and ever film. Um. For film, you know, I actually really love Scott Pilgrim. Um, 
That is a really and actually there's a really good video game of it too. Um, okay. It's like a like an old school beat 'em up game. Love Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. Sorry. Scott Pilgrim is great. I love Edgar Wright. I haven't seen Baby Driver yet. Um, is that a comic? No, that one's not. Okay. okay. It's just another. It's movie Edgar Wright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, or you know, Snow. I also love Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer is real weird. Snowpiercer is great. Love Snowpiercer. <laughs> but I'll probably have to stick with Scott Pilgrim. Uh, favorite TV show of a comic. Um, I love that old Tick TV show. What? With uh, you know, the tick? Patrick Warburton? Yeah. Okay. Um, Who the heck is that? He's the guy with the like the family. He's the what's the name of the guy in Family Guy? Um, Steve. Like, he's like he's, he's, guy, he's like a big. He's huge. Guy. He's it's in a, the, it's like a comedy. He's series. in the U, the car commercials. Oh, he's in the antennas. He has antennas. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. You know the voice. I'm there. You know the voice. I'm here. Yeah. 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 We're good. Um, good answer. That's a that's a deep cut. <laughs> All right. Now worst adaptations. Worst adaptations. To TV, I don't know if you remember. There was a, I think MTV put off this like 3D Spider-Man cartoon, um, in like the late 90s, early zeros. Okay. It was real bad. Uh, recent bad TV things. Um, you know, people seem to hate on Gotham. I thought it was all right. I thought the art direction in Gotham was pretty cool. Um, but it just seemed to fall flat. It's on season four, right? Season three, yeah, season four. Enough people are watching it. Uh, worst movie adaptation. The, the thing is, that for ones that I know they're going to be really bad, I didn't see, like I never saw Batman vs Superman. Uh, Suicide Squad was really, really, really bad. Um, so you know, at the end of the day, I, I probably have to go with that. Although Watchmen, I thought was pretty bad too. What a Howard the Duck? Isn't that known to be like the worst? Uh, I would love to see a new Howard the Duck movie. Howard the Duck is real goofy, and I really love that he seems to be showing up in these Guardians of the Galaxy end credit things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I would, I would love to see new How the Duck. How the Duck's great, and uh, don't talk shit about How the Duck. There you go. There you go. Good way to end it. So, Jake, thank you for, uh, I guess, not even coming out. We came to you. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for coming to me. This was a lot of fun. Me. Yeah, appreciate um, it. Yeah, glad you all could stop by and Very see good insight. that people yeah. like each other here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a cool spot. We'll be back. We'll, we'll buy back. some comics. For sure. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you.